Welcome to the Athlete CEO Podcast. Each week, we aim to bring you world-class interviews with the brightest, most successful entrepreneurs, innovators, athletes, and business minds today to share insights on how to leverage your wealth for maximum impact in all areas of life. You won't be hearing any vague theories or strategies from us. Our guests have walked the walk and are committed to sharing the best of what they know so you can apply the lessons they've learned, sometimes the hard way. Whether you're an athlete, entrepreneur, or just curious what drives the success of these guests, this podcast is for you. Now, let's get to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Athlete CEO Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Averill. I am joined by my co-host, uh, co-founder, and of course, my older brother, Brandon Averill. And we are fired up today for our audience, for you as the professional athlete or the founder of a company or an investor in one of uh, the venture capital space. Our guest really uh, has experience across all three. And for us that are involved in the athlete community. This couldn't be a more exciting conversation because he is uh, where we are turning for so much of our information today in these tumultuous times. And so with that introduction, uh, please welcome Alex Mather, the CEO, co-founder of The Athletic to the podcast. Alex, welcome. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for having me. We are, yeah, we are fired up to have this conversation. You know, it's uh, it's something that is so fun to dig into and to listen of what you and Adam have built at The Athletic really since 2016 of uh, tackling an industry of sports in the world of journalism when so much of that industry was kind of moving into this can we survive? You see these companies laying off these incredible journalists and you guys did the complete opposite. You've doubled down and said, hey, we believe that if we bring a better product to the world that people are going to listen. And so uh, we're just fired up uh, to hear so much more of The Athletic. And one of the things that Brandon and I talk about being co-founders is a lot of times when you set your vision for us over a decade ago of saying, this is what we want to build, a lot of people don't understand it. They they critique it. They say that's never going to work. They don't understand the vision. But Brandon and I also know that so much of the way in which we look at the world is formed and shaped from our upbringing and from our childhood. And where we want to start this podcast might seem strange to a lot of people because we're not going to talk about how many subscribers you have. And, you know, you guys have had so much success. But where we really want to start is we came across a tweet uh, that you published in response to Landry uh, Shamit that says, love Javon, love Landry, must read. I've been there as a kid in a bankrupt money, not love, single parent home, that hard work and optimism is an amazing combination. And so we've got to imagine so much of how your childhood childhood has shaped your thoughts about money and business. And we just want to start there is if you can bring us into that is how has, you know, your childhood and your background shaped the way you think about money and business? Got it. Yeah, that's a, that was a wonderful story. I recommend folks read it on The Athletic. Um, so my, if you kind of go back, I was born in 1980. And I think by 1985, my father had left He's sort of uh, classic kind of troubled uh, father. He had served in Vietnam, got into drugs and never really got off of drugs. Um, and 
had a few kids with my mother and at, at some point just kind of left and uh, removed himself from the equation and left, uh, you know, my mom with three kids under five years old. And, you know, as the, I was the oldest of three, uh, I have a brother and a sister and uh, we were uh, born and raised in, in Philadelphia. And, um, you know, just watching my mom handle everything as <laughs> uh, juggle is probably the, the right term. Uh, it, there was not a lot of uh, slack in the system, if you will. You know, there was, you know, get as much work done as you can to support the family. Um, and when you're home, make sure the kids are, are loved and taken care of. And, um, and you know, there were many times when there wasn't enough money to, to, um, to take care of us or get us the things we wanted or needed. And, you know, she relied on uh, Jewish family services, our family um, even my father's family helped. And it was, it was a world where, uh, you know, everyone had to lean on each other to, to make it. Um, and there wasn't really a lot of time for kind of the, the typical things that kids experience around selfish behavior and, and, you know, acting out all that was just not even an option because you know, we were we were fighting to <laughs> to keep ourselves uh, clothed and housed and fed and all those things. So, um, you know, I think I learned just obviously like just incredible work ethic that my mother had and that that optimism that I mentioned in the tweet. I think it's one of those things that uh, sounds cheesy. It sounds like a lifetime movie, but you know, the folks, uh, who really believe that there's, there's a positive outcome, uh, tend to <laughs> achieve some, some better results than folks who don't. And so, um, you know, I think that combination has been definitely a, a big part of, of who I am and, and the company that I've built. Wow. Well, thank you for, uh, for sharing that, you know, I know, um, a lot of times it, it's hard to, to share those type of stories, especially when they're not, they're not the rosy ones. Um, but one of the things that struck me is really this parallel. We, we've had the opportunity to read and to listen to some of your other interviews. And I know how much you and Adam care for your employees. And can you just talk about how that, how that connects or where that parallel is? Cause I've got to imagine that drives so much of you guys are, are well known for being overly, you know, supportive of your employees. I think in one uh, podcast, there was an analogy of athletes have strength and conditioning coaches, you know, our, our writers have, you know, content coaches and just, it seems the resources. Can you talk about how you approach uh, your employees? Yeah, I think um, if you look at the the history of of journalism, it's not it has not been the the rosy relationship between you know, the journalists and and the the business uh, folks at at companies. And uh, we looked at that history and um, definitely saw that as an opportunity, uh, given that folks who have not been treated well probably have a lot more to give um, and, the, and their talents have not been maximized. And that seemed to us like a big opportunity to, to flip that script and, and trust people to, to do great work and, and do everything in our power to give them the resources to do great work. But if I pull it back, I think the focus for us 
and it's been a it's just been a continue continuous focus from from minute zero of a company is just focusing on the longer term vision right and you mentioned this early earlier on and you know i think so many companies um all over the world what doesn't matter the industry but it is definitely an issue in in media uh, our focus on the short term whether it be like you know correcting issues in their business and or you know stopping the bleeding or whatever it might be and uh, they, they tend to focus on this month this quarter this year uh, and you know we just said let's let's think about things differently what what are some of the ways we can think about things differently and it's taking a 5 10 15 year view on things. And that is just a massive advantage in that every little decision we make is focused on that. And uh, it might seem small uh, here, there, you know, the seven decisions you make each day seem small, but you know, really believe that the compounding interest of those decisions over five years makes a massive difference in, in not only the, the employees and their happiness, but the end product that, that reaches subscribers everywhere and uh, you know, happy employees, employees that feel challenged, employees that feel empowered, employees that, that feel like we've got their back or are going to produce better work. Um, and that's going to help the company. And, and then we have the, you know, more, more resources to continue that process. And we, we knew that, you know, to use the sports analogy, like most of the, the editorial talent out there was, was being poorly coached, <laughs> um, and in a system that didn't work. Uh, and, uh, you know, we thought that l let's, let's see if we can figure it out. We didn't have an exact playbook, but we knew, that we would have to work very closely with the newsroom and and figure out how to how to connect business and, and journalism into something that that is going to last a really long time and and so far it's been it's been a blast to get to understand the media industry to get to understand how how journalists work and think and act and and they're they're incredible and um you know so far it, it has led to a product that i hope i hope our subscribers love well that, i mean that's awesome and and super interesting i think you know the thing that struck me there is is your focus on the long game and i don't think uh, a lot of people understand that while that's probably a, a very successful thing to do. It's also a very difficult thing to do. And, you know, it's something we talk about here at AWM quite a bit because the the long game requires, as you mentioned, kind of the short-term sacrifice. Um, you know, for us, it's it's working with a, a client, whether it be an athlete uh, that's early in their career, hasn't earned that money that they potentially could or or a founder that hasn't exited yet. Uh, you're putting in years of work towards, you know, a longer term goal that, you know, inherently we're more focused short term as as humans. So I'd love to hear just like what what gave you the confidence when you guys were launching to say, you know what, we're going to make these investments. We're going to focus on the long game. We're going to focus on quality, you know, the craft and kind of bring that back into journalism that certainly couldn't have been an easy decision and or easy path. And it probably still certainly isn't. Uh, it's got to be a challenge on a daily basis. Yeah, I mean, really important question. And I think there's a lot that goes into it. There isn't a simple answer as to what gave us the confidence. But, you know, I, I think a few sources of inspiration, perhaps, uh, is is how I'll frame my answer, which is you know, looking at some of the things that 
I love. HBO is a really good example. HBO is has been around for decades and and produces really great content. Uh, and it's it's not for everybody. Um, you know, a big HBO show is a small show on network television, but the quality and care that goes into their product just doesn't get old. Uh, and they they've continued to run a very profitable, uh, great business alongside their great editorial or, or entertainment product. And, you know, I think that's one example. Um, you know, you look at a company like Apple that produces just really high-end phones and computers. And there was many years <laughs> where they were mocked, where people, you know, so as the trends went to like cheaper and cheaper electronics and personal electronics, uh, people were skeptical of, of people like folks spending a thousand dollars on a phone, but they had a vision where, you know, the phone was so much more. And, you know, I think you, you kind of just think about that and it, it ties into that long-term view, which is if you have a vision where you can create something that is really good, it doesn't have to be cool. It doesn't have to be uh, trendy, but it's just really good. And it fits into people's lives in an area that's important to them. Then, then you've got a formula for a business. Then, you know, it doesn't mean you can, you're going to, go out and win but you have you have the i should say the ingredients and, and then you've got to go out and do it and so um you know and then the final point was we we spent all my co-founder adam and i spent time at strava together and we we saw firsthand what it's like to find a passionate audience strava if folks don't know it is a is a social network and training tool for endurance athletes and you pay for a lot of the product and hundreds of thousands of people paid while i was there and uh, we learned how to build something that people really loved and it was a big part of their lives and felt a lot of confidence in the sort of mechanics of building a subscription business from that experience. And so you combine all these things and, um, you know, sort of the landscape in 2015 when we're, when we're talking about launching the company, there wasn't really like this shining light of a product that we could say, hey, we want to be that. And so that really felt like that opportunity to build something that that filled that need. You know, the the place where if you're a young journalist, you want to end up, right? If of course there's places like ESPN, which are wonderful, but are more focused on television, right? Um, there wasn't really this this New York Times of sports where people say, you know, a college grad from from Northwestern, um, Medill and saying, I want to be there, right? There wasn't a place. Um, and so we said, let's create that. And, and we know fans are going to dig it. Uh, so uh, off we went. Yeah, that's that's super cool and insightful. I'm a longtime Strava user as well. So definitely my wife loves the beacon. <laughs> she can figure out where I'm at when I'm on the road. So totally get the passionate audience. And I think, you know, the influences make a tremendous amount of sense. And when I reflect on the companies that you just called out, HBO, Apple, Strava, the New York Times, the, the thing that comes to mind there, uh, and I think would be of huge interest to our audience, your take is just brand. Uh, it seems like all of them have at least what I would consider a very strong brand. I've heard you talk about the brand of the athletic. I'd love to you know, get your take on certainly what you guys think of uh, when you think of brand at the athletic, but then also... For those other, you know, the founders that might be listening, you know, just general brand, how you think about it, or even athletes, we talk so often 
to them and they want to build their brand. Um, and so would just love to hear your thoughts around that. Yeah. I mean, we, we definitely don't talk as much about brand as we should. And we are beginning to do so more now um, that we have a little time. But, you know, I think brand really at a company emanates from the people and product you produce. Uh, and it sort of just is is natural in the companies that are most successful, I think. And, you know, it, what do people think of us is ju- just a reflection of what we do. Um, and, you know, what we what we do is, you know, we do really high quality sports writing, storytelling, journalism. And, you know, I think what people perceive as our brand is really like a connection to the importance of those things, right? People who might support NPR, right? People who might uh, support the New York Times, they want to, they want people to know that, right? They, that they associate with those brands, right? It was the, the old example of the Economist or the Financial Times on your, on your coffee table, right? Like, look, I'm I'm worldly and I, I follow up on things and I understand the world or or the the economic environment we're in or things like that. You know, people want to be associated with the things that they feel represent them. And you know, I think we we put an incredible amount of effort um, and care into the work we do. And there's a group of people out there who appreciate that. Uh, and there's all, there's a much bigger group of people who couldn't care less, right? Who would rather just read headlines or or see people getting dunked on or or see people making mistakes on the field or whatever. That and that's fine too, but that's just not who we are. Um, you know, we want to take people behind the scenes, um, get give them an opportunity to to get to know the players, the coaches, the people behind the scenes. Um, and we think that there's a lot of people who want to associate with a product that does those things because it's, you know, how they want to connect to the world of sports. And, you know, I connect it back to my, my childhood and just going to baseball games with my grandfather. Um, he, no matter what would take score, um, uh, during the game and, uh, would always have a rubber band around his wrist so that he could roll his score, his scorecard up and, and, uh, wrap it up and um, with the rubber band and and it was just like a big part of his life and just it, it, he was focused and attentive and just loved the game and could talk about it unlimited amounts of time it seems and that passion right that was a, that formed that connection between him and I and then like on the opposite end of the spectrum you know there there's my wife and I watch basketball and um, there was that moment last season where where Dame Lillard in the playoffs hits that. 37 foot three pointer and, and ends the series and waves goodbye and is mobbed by his teammates. And my wife and I were just like going crazy. And she still talks about that moment. I don't think she could name another <laughs> trailblazer, but uh, if she saw Dame Lillard, she would get goosebumps on her arms thinking about that moment. And, and that, that's the brand, right? That's like, we tell those stories. We, we take you in and, and 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 accentuate those stories in a way that hopefully makes you think of those moments with your grandfather or, or your or your husband or wife or, and that's the brand that we hope to be that's powerful i it it gets me fired up and and it resonates right because what what i heard you say especially at the very beginning of the brand is people 
in the product, right? So it's it's not something manufactured to try and just turn a profit. It's literally this is our ethos. This is this is who we are internally as people, and this is our tribe. This is our community of of followers. And what I love about that is in in the business world, a lot of times, whether it's in in the investment world that we live in, or even we're seeing this pour over in sports is the human element gets removed and all of a sudden it becomes um, just very algorithms or analytics. And and that's, to me, a very important piece of it, but holding first the people part of it, right? Of understanding that the analytics and a lot of the the things that are going to come into efficiency drives the purpose. It's a means to an end to really serve the the community and the client. And I think that's one of the things that I would love to hear the way in which you properly use analytics to serve the end user or the community. And it's something that uh, is very near and dear to our heart because being on the investment side, right, we, we make decisions that uh, our clients are entrusting us with their lives, really their hopes and the dreams, because that's what money represents. And and we're very committed to to not guessing based off of emotion or opinion, but what's the data say? But I just love to hear there's not a lot of conversation of marrying the analytics to the human element of, of the business. And I feel like you guys do this insanely well. It's why we can all of us continue to turn to you as our trusted source and getting exposure to these incredible stories. Can you just talk about how you guys have leveraged the analytics uh, in your business? Sure. Yeah, I think um, there's a pretty odd history there with our company because both my co-founder and I are definitely much more on the quantitative side of things. Uh, and uh, we're, we're more likely to be in Excel than um, you know Word or something. Uh, and uh, we launched the company thinking, hey, let's just kind of like take a 538 approach to local sports. And we learned pretty quickly that like folks, there's an audience who really loves that, but it's it, it, it is a smaller audience than you'd think. Um, and so you know, what we learned very quickly is that there's a there's an, a, a whole picture to look at right? You know, analytics is one thing. When you cover sports, it's storytelling tends to do much better. Opinions tends to do much better. Um, but if I, if I think back like, to more you know, how we think about the, the, the sort of combination of analytics and, and gut, um, you know, it really starts, and you mentioned it, it starts with people, right? You know, if, you're, if you're making an analogy uh, around cars, for example, the people are the engine for sure. Like it really matters who you bring on and, you know, you can tweak <laughs> and, and optimize. Um, but at the end of the day, the engine is the engine, right? You can you know, shave things off and improve the aerodynamics. You can add a spoiler, you can add air intake, you can do whatever you need to do. Right. But if the engine isn't strong, it doesn't matter. Um, and so for us, the way we really, think about that is, you know, we've got a set of core values and we really screen for those types of things first. Um, and that, that's really like how a person operates. Like, are they one to cut corners or are they one to, to take on the real work to, to tell a great story? Right. Are they one to take chances or are they one to analyze for months? Right. Um, are they one to, you know, 
work with others or are they off on their own island? These are some of the things that we think about when we screen people. Um, and you know that's going to be 80% of your output. Um, and then using analytics to do two major things. Number one is is prove or disprove ideas, right? When we talk about like one of our core values is, is moving forward fearlessly, uh, sort of the trailblazer type um, ethos of like being first. Um, part of being good at that means having a hypothesis and, and figuring out if it works. Because if you're going to be, if you're going to be you know, at the front of the pack, the tip of the spear, you're going to make mistakes. And you have to figure out uh, how to get better at, at at that process, right? And so we use data um, to create feedback loops where people can take chances. And if it doesn't work, move on, next thing. Um, and that next up approach is is really great. It, it, it means that each person can take on their own philosophy and, and try things. And, um, you know, it also helps sort of breaking old habits, Right. Uh, you know, someone who's at a newspaper for 30 years might say, well, I need to do this because I need to. This is what I do. Uh, and then they do that for a couple of weeks and they see the data and it doesn't work. And they're like, oh, OK, I understand. I understand why you told me not to do that. Um, and now I can change on my own terms. Um, and, you know, the, the second main thing in how we use data is to create the right incentives within the company. Right. So, you know, aligning incentives is, is probably the most overlooked aspect of, of definitely connecting journalism to, to the business. And you know, if you look at our advertising-focused competition, it's things like page views. It's things um, that are more breadth, not depth, right? Um, it's more like, not love. Um, and so we wanted to make sure that the way we track data in our company and the way we provide data to our newsroom is such that the behavior that they optimize for is going to be optimal for the business. And, and it's like business talk, but, um, you know, it, it's, it's very much the difference, you know, in some of the newer analytics around like, you know, Babbitt versus ERA or something, right? Like, you know, really understanding what you're trying to optimize for, um, because there's a lot out of folks control and the, the things that are in control, we want to make sure we're, we're properly optimizing for. So, you know, th that, that's how we think about that connection. Um, and 80% of the work, it, like I said, is, is really getting the right people. That is that is very helpful. It's interesting uh, speaking to the to the audience right now. Right is is the athlete of this is where I think there's such an opportunity for our athletes to learn from people like yourselves who own businesses um, and are using this data to do those two things that you had talked about, right? Of I love that, like moving forward fearlessly, because that's ultimately everybody who's trying to be a high performer is how do you get to this next level? And in using this information to help you on that path, it's interesting from what we see on, on the athlete spaces, I would say, uh, we're in inning one of understanding how to use those analytics as an athlete in real time. And so there's been this overwhelming amount of data that's come into sports through the front office. And you're seeing this on the economic side of things of it's completely reshaped the way contracts are done and how players are being paid no matter what sport you're in. But if you talk to the actual uh, client, the actual employee, the, the athlete, very few of them uh, have an ability to interpret 
how to use the data. And I think that's, you know, something I'd love to hear you just press into is uh, you've talked a lot about like coaching your employees and using this data is just more information isn't better if you don't know how to execute on it. Can you just share how you guys approach like the coaching side and and this could even parallel into your own personal story of like, you know, your own personal health and fitness is we're big. You had mentioned Strava, where you come from. Brandon and I personally, you know, we have the whoop on our uh, on our bodies 24 hours a day, seven days a week of trying to use data to make improvements in our sleep X, Y, Z. Like, I just love to hear about like how you think through executing on this data. Yeah, I mean, for us within the company, uh, it's it's we've been really lucky in how it's happened. Um, we wound up hiring a gentleman named Akil. It's important to know his name because it comes into the story. And um, you know, Akil was really passionate about what type of content we should produce, what type of content works, what type of content doesn't work. Um, and, he, and it started with that passion, right? And you know, he's very quantitative in nature, but he's also just has an incredibly soft touch when dealing with people. He's really optimistic. He's, he's trying to find silver linings. Um, and so uh, Akil, when he joined the company, he's, he's, he's quite young. And um, uh, when he joined the company, he uh, started to just take a writer at a time and and look at the work they're doing and basically um, looking at the data, pulling three or four nuggets of information out to communicate to that writer that could help them, and then talking to that writer over the course of a couple hours and uh, just having a conversation, like asking the right questions. What are the things that you tried that didn't work? Here's why this didn't work, or here's why this one could work, right? It was this really um, organic thing that was building within the company. And what we saw pretty quickly was those folks who had spoken with Akil, the next two weeks were their best two weeks in the company. Um, and, and so we called that the Akil bump. So when you worked with Akil, you got better. Uh, and so we told Akil, okay, go build a team, go you know, develop processes here, interpret the data for folks, right? Spend time simplifying the dashboards of data that we provide to our writers. Right. So it was this whole suite of things. And we dedicated an entire team to it. And it's one of our more successful teams in the company. Um, and we scale that out. We have people in the United Kingdom, people in Canada that focus on this full time to make folks better. Um, and, and so how I connect it to sort of the more meta question is, is it only works if people are open. Right. Um, and, you know, if I were connected to your world. Uh, my guess, dealing with professional athletes, and um, you know, this is not meant to be uh, controversial, but uh, professional athletes tend to think they're right all the time because they've been surrounded. They've been surrounded by people who uh, are are sort of uh, <laughs> pandering to them. And you know, I think we're seeing right now with the president of our country what happens when someone goes off on their own path and doesn't question are they right or not right and that's not making a political statement that's just stating that there's someone who doesn't believe that they need to be 
humbled by data or they need to they need to learn and and you know it's how i think about my own body and i'm sure the best professional athletes are always leaning on on experts uh in their in their respective fields whether it be fitness or flexibility or specific skill sets to get better right um and then they get into business and think they know everything and um you know it's a process of being really humble and people who use data the best are really humble because they let the data do the talking um and and that doesn't mean they are not aggressive. It doesn't mean they don't move forward fearlessly. It doesn't mean they aren't really good at their jobs. It means that they're ready to be proven wrong. Um, and they're open to be proven wrong because at the end of the day, it's not about being right. It's about winning. And, you know, the company needs to succeed, not for folks to feel good about themselves. So, you know, it's this it's this real humbling process of, of this push and pull um, on how I can become better. We call it a, the growth mindset of like always getting better because, you know, I think I always think about, you know, it's, it's obviously super sad. And I always think about folks like Kobe Bryant, right? Like just the ultimate example of this, like, you know, it talks a lot of trash of, uh, or talked a lot of trash, of, of course, but gosh, he put in the work right? Like, there's no question. Like, that man was obsessed with getting better. And you see athletes like Kevin Durant, right? You know, I think his idea of a great Friday night is, is, you know, cozying up with some film and, and getting better. Um, and there's a reason he's one of the best players to ever play the game, right? Um, and so that growth mentality kind of starts with that ability to be wrong and, and get better. Wow. Powerful and and so true. I mean, I think of uh, my transition personally coming out of uh, being a professional athlete into the business world. You learn very quickly. Uh, you don't know what you don't know. And the quicker you understand that and the more humility you have. And this carries through, I think, every aspect of life, right? The the closer you're going to be to winning when you have that ability to not be fearful of being proven wrong, but having that growth mindset of looking like prove me wrong so I can so I can make the quick adjustment, the quick pivot to get back to it. And I think what you said about uh, not being right, uh, it's about winning and and not the emotion is is so huge. I mean, relating this back to what Brandon and I are doing right now over the last five weeks, helping people navigate uh, the public investment market is so many people are emotional of opinion based. This is what I think is going on. And I can't handle this emotionally and X, Y, Z that it's no, let's trust the data. What, what do the analytics say? What is market history over the last hundred years said? And those people that chose to follow emotion and not trust uh, the data hurt themselves by pulling out of the market and then the market returns back. And so I just think there's so much wisdom in that. And it's really hard to do, right? It's it's very much Warren Buffett making the comment of like, you, you've got to have ice in your veins uh, to be able to sustain that. But there's actually so much trust when you're not afraid of numbers internally, you know, for our employees. And I think you, you had mentioned it on a podcast is we're big fans and implementers of the OKR method from, um, you know, and measure what matters. And I think it's that growth mindset in such a good warning for the athlete in general is um, to not be afraid to be proven wrong because it actually is about winning. So that, that thank you for sharing that. I would love to hear 
do you guys implement any kind of KPIs, OKRs, that type of stuff internally? Oh yeah, of course. I mean, we, we are, uh, we're, we're based in San Francisco and, um, I make sure that everyone in the company, um, at least in a director position or above reads high output management and measure what matters. Um, and these are not like interesting books, but they are powerful books. Um, and, they're really important foundations for how we operate as a company. Um, and it gets back to what you're saying. You know, it's not about being right. Um, and I think this is probably, a, 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 I'm, I'm projecting because I don't know, but uh, uh, I'm guessing professional athletes are used to being the center of attention and want to be right. Um, and uh, just re- like as a CEO, I, I constantly have to, you know, make sure the culture of the company is not about that. It's not about pumping your chest out. It's not about specific people. Um, it's not about, you know, MVP awards. <laughs> the, these are not the things to optimize for, right? Um, it's much more connected to the output of the company. That's literally all that matters. And when you hear athletes say it on the court or the field, like, you know, I don't care about personal accolades. I want to win championships. Like, you know, that's, it's never uh, more true than, than the, than the you know, corporate world where there are no MVP awards. There's no such thing. And it's literally about output. Um, are you winning or not? Um, otherwise shut up <laughs> and get to work. And, you know, I think that that's, that's the mentality we, we have in the company. And, you know, we look at a much, a much more balanced scorecard in terms of KPIs within the company for our editorial staff, right? It's, it's a mix of some data, but it's also some of the core values of how we do journalism. Uh, you know, are you a good teammate? You know, are you at the front of the pack? Are you breaking news? Are you being fair? Right? All these things that are really important journalistically, are you working with your editors? Um, uh, all the things that matter to our company that perhaps aren't as data driven, those are just as important, if not more important than, than the KPIs we track. And um, for us, like our business is a subscription business. So we tend to focus on, on two major things from a KPI perspective. Number one is engagement. Are you engaging our audience? right? Like we already have an audience. Um, let's make sure we're engaging them. And that means like, are people reading your articles? Are people finishing your articles? How many people read a second article of yours that read a first article, right? Uh, those types of things. Um, if you cover the, the Golden State Warriors, what percentage of Golden State Warriors fans are reading your articles on, on a weekly or monthly basis, right? And then the second one is, are you driving new subscriptions? And the ways that you do that are very different. It's about telling bigger, broader stories. It's about breaking news. It's about some different behaviors. Um, but it, but we look at all these things combined. and That's how we that operate a 600-person company fairly efficiently. Well, yeah, that's that's definitely insightful. And I'd, I'd love to kind of, you know, build on that, but also turn it back to a little bit of the previous uh, points that were made just around the speculation that athletes always you know, need to be right, or, um, you know, at least take that approach. And and I think that's certainly a fair, a fair comment to make. And maybe this is the controversial part. I'll I'll say is, you know, I I do think a lot of that probably comes from insecurity. um, And the feeling that, hey, I'm in the spotlight, I'm supposed to know. And I think, you know, certainly CEOs and founders, I think, are put in that position often as well. And to admit that you don't know, and, and to have that humility, I think is is 
probably a battle for a lot of people, but I'm curious, you guys hit on at the athletics, some pretty uh, sensitive issues. Awesome that you're bringing them to light just around mental health. Uh, There's been several stories that you guys have published. I'd just love to know kind of from a founder perspective, obviously the battle you guys go through, how you support your employees in mental health, and then, you know, how you deal with it. Yeah. Just maybe lean into that a little bit if you're willing. Yeah, of course. I think, um, I think that's, you know, what you mentioned around insecurity is, is definitely, I would assume part of it, right? I mean, it's, it's really about winning is really hard. Being the center of attention is really hard. And it's, it's something where we're all pretty much the same as human beings. (laughs) We don't, there aren't like folks who know everything and can just instantly be great at something. And, um, you know, I think uh, being a founder is no different, right? You have to be really confident in yourself, and I, I'm definitely not uh, shy there. Um, and uh, it, it's very similar in the in the stresses. Um, you know, you you take on the burden of of more people than than most others. Uh, you take on the responsibilities uh, of more folks than than most others do. And um, you know, I, the the things that come to mind for me is is a acknowledging that it's really hard. Um, and you're not supposed to be great at it, uh, every second of the day. Um, you know, establishing a support system of people who are honest with you, um, and going to help you and be optimistic (laughs) and, and, but also real with you, um, and surrounding yourself with really great people to, to achieve your goals, to, to help share that load. You know, my co-founders is amazing at this as well. And, you know, it's just not a game where you can play it alone. And, and then just like, you know, you work on your bodies, you work on your mind. Um, it's, it's just something you have to commit to it. Um, and that means sometimes, you know, being open, um, when it might make you seem weak, um, or, you know, not not necessarily weak, but perhaps not perfectly informed. And I'll admit it often that I don't know the answer to this question. I'm I, I I'm learning as quickly as I can on this topic, and let's let's talk this out and really figure it out together. And you know, I think uh, the um, the the realities of any of these really high pressure jobs is you need to find those support systems and outlets outside of it too and you know i think you know you've mentioned it a couple of times but for me fitness is just that thing um the difference um and perhaps during this shelter in place my wife can test the most to this um uh if i don't get my peloton ride out out of the way by by 6 a.m or 7 a.m um, i'm a different person that day and uh, you know, I, I do believe that anxiety is one of the, the best, best things you can use in your life to drive, to drive performance. And that anxiety for me personally, uh, and I'm sure everyone's different for me personally, is completely managed by, by working, working out some capacity, whether it be getting on the Peloton or, or going for a run or there was a world where we went to gyms, um, uh, going to the gym. Um, but you know, those, those are the things that I think about. And, um, you know, I think as a leader, uh, this is the crazy part. And, uh, you know, I'm sure athletes and, and folks in founding positions at companies will agree, uh, as a leader, you are the one sort of table setting. If you're open, if you're honest <laughs> and you're real 
um, and you're vulnerable at times and um, most importantly, transparent and honest, then you're going to be surrounded by people who are as well. And, you know, I think that that tends to create an environment where people can not only succeed, but do so in a way that is is taking the pressure off as much as possible. Of course, the pressure is still unbelievably high, but that doesn't mean we all just like get tight and um, get stressed out, right? Uh, it means that we talk about it, we we assess it, and we work together on it. And so I try to create an environment, whether it be on our board or our management team, where I'm open. Um, I start the meetings off with as much openness as I can and, and you know, showing some of that vulnerability and hoping that others do the same. And I feel like we work through problems much better that way. Uh, and the company is in a much better place and the people trust each other. Um, and, and that has been successful for us. And obviously that may vary for others, but you know, it, I think it's, it's one of the key reasons we've been able to scale from zero to 600 people in, in a couple of years. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. It's uh, that that's very helpful. And I want to definitely be uh, sensitive to your time. This has been uh, very insightful. And just as we close out, I guess the, the one question I would ask is here you are being the CEO, you are leading a company of 600 plus people, you have, you know, hundreds of thousands, uh, uh, maybe even over a million, uh, you know, uh, subscribers at this point, but you're also a husband, you're also a father in the midst of, of COVID as we are at these stay at home orders. Um, like you said, I think anxiety is up. There's been some crazy stats that alcohol sales are up 55%. Um, spirits are up 75%. People are now eating non-perishable foods. They're exercising less. Um, they're more isolated. Just, you know, as you're leading your company and your family through this very strange time, would you leave just, uh, you know, maybe a few parting words, what's top of mind of how you guys are staying healthy as a family and, and as a company? That, that would be super helpful. Yeah, I mean, this is this is probably my most important job right now, <laughs> whether it be as a father or a husband or a or a CEO, right? Um, you know, first of all, like uh, for us, like I, I tend to look at optimism as as my favorite word, and and really trying to find silver linings because you can get caught up in a lot of this. And I'm, I'm going to assume if you're listening to this podcast that you're, you're blessed uh, enough to be in a position where you probably still have your job where you probably, you know, aren't um, at risk of losing your home or your, or, or your, or your life. And th those things, you know, first of all, just acknowledging that and just acknowledging how blessed you are um, and how you can perhaps help, help others and, and really just, Take this moment uh, and understand that that the world is incredibly unfair. Uh, and to be on a side here where the, your complaints are, I'm drinking too much whiskey, or or I'm or I'm putting on some weight, are are incredibly small, right? Uh, this is like a unprecedented situation where um, the folks affected by this uh, disproportionately are are um, you know lower income and and uh, more of the uh, blue collar jobs. And it, it's really, it's, it's really heartbreaking, but finding those silver linings and finding ways to help. And so that's number one for me across the board, just being a, a CEO or a husband or a father is like being positive and, and seeing how we can help um, stop feeling sorry for yourself and get to work. Um, 
And then, then in terms of like, you know, really how we're thinking through the mental part of this is, is triage, right? Like, is the business okay? Um, is the family okay? Yes. Okay. Let's move on to the next thing. And, um, our business has, has been spared to date and we feel lucky for that. And people are still reading an incredible amount of sports information. Um, so within the company, we focus on, on four major things every single day. And I communicate to the company every single day about it. Um, it's our little checklist. Um, number one is calling or FaceTiming or zooming with, a family member or someone you think might be lonely. Um, and I, I definitely have been emphasizing the lonely part. It's easy to talk to your mom or your sister or your aunt, but think about someone in your network who, who's, who's a home alone right now. Um, and uh, this is really hard. Um, it's hard enough being a parent, but I can't imagine being alone and um, you know perhaps at risk or something. And just Give them a text and shoot them a text and say, how you doing? I'm, I miss you. Um, so that's number one is really just reaching out to folks that you love or think might be lonely and, and doing your part there to just keep talking. Um, we're not, we're, we're human beings. We're not hob, like hermits. And, you know, I think, um, you know, we want to be with each other <laughs> naturally. And so like do as much as that as you can. Number two uh, relates to the fitness, like just get, do do 50 push-ups, do 10 sit-ups, whatever, do a Peloton class, do a soul cycle online or something. I don't know, do something. Um, it'll, it'll clear your head and you'll feel better. Number three is go for a walk if possible. Uh, it, just getting some fresh air. Uh, it helps out in California. So it's, it's, it's wonderful weather. And uh, yeah, uh, I do have a, a big dog and, um, I make sure that I walk my dog and, um, it's great to get outside. And then finally, like, this is the part where it's like doing your part to help is just find a local business and, and, you know, support it, whether it be like ordering a meal or, or, or a helping hand or something. And, and those are the four things that I ask everyone in the company to try to do every day. And we talk about it openly. Um, and not everyone's going to do everything every day, but it's just really keeping ourselves accountable to these things. I guarantee if you do those four things, you're going to feel better. Um, and the day is going to go by faster. And before you know it, it's tomorrow. Um, and we're hopefully one day closer to, to some semblance of normalcy. So that, that's how I've taken it is like, you know, just focusing on the, the, the basics to use the sports analogy when, you know, it's the fourth quarter or something like that. You're just thinking about those practice uh, sessions at five in the morning and the things that you do that are really basic. That's all, that's all we have to focus on. And when you do that, it, you know, the, the sun rises, the sun sets and, on we go. Yeah. So powerful clarity, you know, discipline and patience. And, uh, I think just, uh, that was, it was great. And it was also very others focused, which goes back to your DNA at the athletic of ultimately it being about, uh, your community of subscribers. And so, uh, audience, uh, this has just been uh, a powerful and, uh, just great conversation. Uh, if you're not already subscribed to the athletic, uh, don't wait. Um, it, it's not a shameless plug because it's literally something uh, we've uh, we've benefited from for many years. It's incredible content. Um, it's real journalism. It's it's quality. It's craft. And so, Alex, thank you so much uh, for the time that you spent with us. Uh, we love uh, we love hearing your story and what you're doing, and wish you uh, all the the best of luck in the future. And and we know that you're going to continue to do great things. So thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Stay uh, stay healthy. Stay sane. Yeah. And for the audience, uh, as always, thank you guys for your attention. And as we sign off, as always, stay humble, stay hungry and be a pro. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Athlete CEO Podcast, a production of AWM Capital. Please note that investments and strategies mentioned on this podcast may not be suitable for you. We encourage you to discuss your specific situation with a qualified, certified financial planner. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion at AWM Capital or its affiliates. For more information, visit awmcapital.co.